All right, guys, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to our scripture reading for our sermon text. We are in Romans 8 still. Romans 8, we are coming to the end. Now, I said something last week. I said we have one week left unless I add something to it, unless the Lord really takes me another direction, unless I add anything to it, we have one week left. Well, guess what? We now have two weeks left. <laughs> Counting this one. So today I've added one sermon. So I got one this week and we'll do one more next week. Because with this sermon, this would make 11 in the series. And we can't do that. It's got to be 12. It has to be an even number, one for each disciple. So I do things in ones, threes, fives, and twelves. One for one God, three for the Trinity, five for the five points of Calvinism, and 12 for the 12 disciples. Okay. You'll notice that pattern as the years roll on. (laughs) All right, guys, if you will, stand with me for our scripture reading. Romans chapter 8. I am going to begin in verse 32, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Romans 8, 32. This is God's holy word for us, his people. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure... That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is God's holy word for us as people. Father, come, I pray, send your spirit to unlock this word and to open our hearts to receive your truth. Write this word upon our hearts. May we take this truth home with us and go forth with joy to obey all you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you may be seated. Well, I once watched a video lecture by a bishop in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And he was lecturing on the doctrine of salvation. And he tells a story of a time when a fundamentalist Christian, he means someone like you, when a fundamentalist Christian came up to him and said, Brother, are you saved? He must have been down south. Brother, are you saved? Do you know that you know that you know? If you died tonight, where'd you go? And, of course, the, the audience laughs. And, and the bishop, you know, he was, a, he was taken aback by this question. It's not really the way Eastern Orthodox Christians think about salvation. It's not really the kind of question a bishop would walk up to somebody on the street and ask. 
And so he says, he, so he tells you in the video what he said. And his answer is very illuminating. He said this, this is a paraphrase. He said, I believe I am being saved. And I hope and pray that one day I will be saved in the end. But I cannot say that I am saved right now in the present. Now, in Eastern Orthodoxy, you cannot know that you are saved. In Rome, Roman Catholicism teaches the same thing. No Christian can be assured of their salvation in this life. In fact, they think it is a sin to pretend that you know for sure that you're saved. It's called the sin of presumption. You're just presuming on God. Now, the Protestant reformers attacked this teaching directly. They insisted from Scripture that you absolutely can know right here, right now in the present that your future salvation is secure. Assurance is not the sin of presumption, they said. It's just biblical faith. And it's an essential and important element in the joy and comfort and peace of the Christian life. In our passage this morning, Paul is brimming with assurance. He is bursting with confidence in his salvation. And Paul gives us a passage like this at the climax of Romans 8, at the pinnacle of the whole letter. He comes to this great crescendo here in chapter 8. There are 16 chapters. This is right at the pinnacle, right in the middle. He comes to this crescendo in this passage. He wrote a passage like this because he wants you, Christian. He wants you to have this same exuberant confidence that he does. This is not a unique gift just for the apostles because they were receiving divine revelation. No, this is a gift that any Christian can enjoy. So using our passage as a starting point, I want us to see two major points this morning. Two big points. And on your handout, you see I have a few more bullet points on there than normal because this one has a bit more complexity to it as far as following along. So I added some points. Two major points with some subpoints. So here's the two major points. Number one is the nature of assurance. And number two is the basis of Assurance, And then I'll have some subpoints under each of those. But that's the two big ones. The nature of assurance and the basis of assurance. That's what I want us to focus on from Romans 8 this morning. And my goal is this. It's the same as Paul's. I want you. I want you and I both to learn this morning how to attain a full and joyful assurance of our secure salvation. It's not the sin of presumption. It's just biblical faith. That's where we're going. So, first point, first major point, the nature of assurance. First thing we got to do, let's define what it is we're talking about. What is assurance of salvation? Not insurance. 
I'm not selling anything today. Not insurance for your salvation, but assurance. What is it? Assurance of salvation is this. It is complete confidence that you are saved right now. Complete confidence that you are saved today, this morning, right now. Assurance means to know for sure that you are one of God's elect. Assurance of salvation means you have certainty that you have eternal life. Certainty that you have eternal life. Okay, so given those definitions, I want to explore two subpoints from your handout. Two subpoints here on the nature of assurance. Number one, on the nature of assurance. Assurance is attainable. It is attainable. And we know it's attainable because the scriptures expect us to have it. They expect us to have it. Christians are expected to be sure that they're saved. Listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So 1 John was written for... Probably several reasons. One of them is this. He tells you. One of the reasons John wrote that letter is so that you can know. You could read his letter and know that you personally, individually have eternal life. Hebrews 10.22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A really neat allusion to baptism. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. That's how you should come to worship the Lord. He's talking about coming before the Lord. You should come with full assurance. And then one more. Hebrews 11.1. It says, Now faith is... Assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. The scriptures expect us to have assurance. We're called to assurance. That's how we know it's attainable. There's another reason. We also know it's attainable because we see in our passage that Paul himself had great assurance. Look what he says at the beginning of verse 38. Here's the line that sparked this whole extra sermon. Verse 38. Paul just says very simply, I am sure. I am sure. Sure of what? That nothing in all of creation has the ability... The capacity, the power to separate me and you, us, from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's sure of it. Nothing can separate us, he says. And the, the, the Greek word he uses, the term and the tense, tell us that he has, been, he has come to a full conviction. 
It means he has been persuaded. He has come to have this conviction. Fully convinced that he cannot be separated from Christ in the love of God. Paul says this one other place. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. He says, I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced. Same word in Greek as I am sure. Same word. I am convinced. I have this full conviction that God is able to guard until that day, the last day, what I have entrusted to Him. What I have entrusted to Him. He is able to keep till the, till the end what I've entrusted to Him. His very self. He was convinced of it. Paul had assurance. We know it's attainable because Scripture expects us to have it it calls us to it, and Paul himself clearly had great assurance. And Paul himself, he possessed this great assurance, and as a pastor, he understood that part of his job as a pastor was to work hard to help his people attain assurance as well. Why? Because of the great benefits that assurance can bring. The tremendous benefits assurance can bring. Colossians 2, 1-3. He says, I want you Colossians to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And here's the line. To reach all the riches of full assurance. All the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He speaks of all the riches of full assurance. He struggled to help his people find that. And this is my motivation this morning. I want to labor in this text. I want to struggle with you up here this morning because I want what Paul wants for you. I want all of us to know together the riches of having assurance. Riches such as fullness of joy. We read that in our call to worship. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Full joy, full joy that lasts forever. That's, that's what you get in eternal life, and that's what assurance gives you a taste of here and now. That full joy that lasts forever. Fullness of joy, peace, love. Gratitude. Oh, the gratitude of being able to say thank you to another person who's blessed you. Oh, the joy that that gives you. Gratitude. Security. You feel secure. You feel safe in your Christian walk. It'll give you strength to live the Christian life. It'll give you boldness to step out and live for Him when it's hard. It'll give you cheerfulness in your obedience. It will give you stability in your suffering when you have this assurance that absolutely nothing can separate me from God's love in Jesus Christ. Oh, what riches is held out for you, dear Christian, when you have assurance. Assurance is attainable. 
and it brings great riches to the life and to the soul of those who have it. Sec, excuse me, second subpoint. Assurance is not just attainable. Assurance is not automatic. This is really important. It is possible to be a true believer, a genuine Christian with real faith, and to lack assurance. Assurance is not the essence of faith. So that if you don't have assurance, you must not really be a believer. Assurance is not part of the essence of what faith is. It is the attainment of the fullness of faith. Assurance comes when you attain a fullness of faith. And you see in the Gospels, Jesus will talk about someone who has little faith or weak faith. He'll say, why did you doubt? Where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. People who did not have confidence in what Jesus said or what he was doing, he would say, why are you doubting? Why don't you trust me? Oh, you of little faith. And you have people in the Gospels who say, Lord, I believe. Oh, but help my unbelief. Increase my faith, Lord. Assurance comes when you struggle hard to reach the fullness of faith. It's not of the essence of faith. It's possible for a Christian to doubt. Sometimes our faith is weak, isn't it? Sometimes our faith is weak. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes faith is faint and shaky. Sometimes Christians go through moments of doubt, times of depression, and even whole seasons of life when you walk in darkness and uncertainty and you just don't feel like God is close anymore. You may go through these times. Maybe you already have. Maybe you are now. You may feel distant from your fellow believers. Gosh, that's a lot easier to feel that way now that we're in the midst of lockdowns and pandemics and who knows what's happening. Where we can't, we just feel like we can't all be together like normal. You can start to feel even more distant from your fellow believers. You can start to feel cold towards the things of God. Unmotivated to pray. Maybe unmotivated to get up another Sunday and go to worship. You may go through periods where God seems far away and you begin to question and struggle to keep the faith. These things happen to us, don't they? They do happen to us. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you're not a true believer. When you struggle in your faith, it doesn't mean you don't have any faith. Sometimes we struggle and we have weak faith because we do it to ourselves. Perhaps you begin to be slack in your Christian walk. Maybe you've begun to neglect Scripture, to neglect prayer and worship and fellowship. You're not plugged into the body like you should be. And even, and this is dangerous, you start flirting with sin Instead of fighting and resisting it like you used to. Start getting cozy and comfortable with your sin. And you just think, well, maybe I'll just manage it instead of killing it. 
All these things are, hear me, real possibilities for real Christians. All these things are always a real possibility for a true Christian to experience and to go through. It's what weak faith and little faith, as Jesus calls it, actually looks like and feels like. It's where the evil one wants you to be and wants you to stay. It's not just you fighting the world in your flesh and trying to stay afloat. There is a true enemy of our souls, of our church, of God's purposes. And he would love nothing more. If he can't keep you from being a Christian, he would love to keep you a weak, little, defeated, ineffective Christian. That's where he wants you to stay. He works hard every day to make sure you stay weak and doubtful and defeated and powerless and fruitless and ineffective. He, <coughs> he would like, excuse me, he would love nothing more than for the only impact you leave in this world is the imprint that you leave in the pew. That's where he'd like you to be. That's where he's working hard to keep you. Assurance is not automatic. It's something we must grow into. Assurance ebbs and flows with highs and lows. Assurance must be attained and then it must be maintained. You have to work hard to get it and you have to be vigilant to keep it, to stay to hold your ground. We must seek after assurance. You ever heard that phrase, just, well, just let go and let God? Or Jesus take the wheel? <laughs> Same idea. Right? Just let go and let God. Just lay back and let the Lord do it. Just abide in Him, just like a little tree swaying in the breeze. Just abide, yes. Christian life isn't just about just planting yourself and just letting it wash over you. Christian life is about wrestling. The day you got saved is the day you got freed from sin's enslavement of you. You were freed from your bondage to sin, but you were freed from your sin so you could then turn back around and declare war on that sin and start fighting it every day. You didn't start struggling against your sin until you got saved. But now you've been freed so you can struggle. The struggle should be there. Because we still have sin living with us. And if we're not struggling with sin, you're never going to have assurance. You're going to stay powerless. We have to seek assurance. We have to pursue it. We have to cultivate it. We have to nurture it. We have to guard it. Jesus says, come to me and rest. You'll find rest for your souls. And I'm saying we have to claw and scratch and struggle and narrow way and it's hard. So which is it? Rest or fight? Rest or fight? John Piper solved that dilemma for us. He said, the fight is to rest in the right place. Don't rest in the things of this world. Don't rest in your own ability, your own wisdom, Rest in Him, and that takes work.
Hebrews 6.11. We desire, this is a pastor talking to his church, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Earnestness for full assurance. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Paul said, look inward. Examine yourself. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Search for assurance with earnestness. Or 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. Make your calling and election sure. It is attainable. It is not automatic. We have to pursue it. That's point one. Those are the two things we need to know about the first point on the nature of assurance. Assurance is attainable and it's not automatic. We have to grow into it and then maintain it. The next point we need to know is this. How do we do that? Okay, great. We have to, we have to work for it. Great. Now what? <laughs> Tell me how. How do we attain this? This is the second point. You see, there's three subpoints. First subpoint What is the basis of assurance? Number one, number one is an external word. This is huge. This, is, this was a big point that Martin Luther and the Reformers really pushed. An external word. Let me ask you a question. How reliable are those weird voices in your head? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's got a, more than one, right? And they talk to you. And if you talk to them, we need to have a conversation. We have voices in our heads, more than one, and they tell us what's true and what's not true, what's right and what's wrong, what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And it all comes from your conscience. And those things are battling out. Sometimes the voice of reason <laughs> saves you from an embarrassing moment. I've had a few of those. Sometimes those voices are pretty accurate. Sometimes they get us into a hopeless mess. Your own private guesswork, trying to figure out which voice in your head to listen to, is not reliable enough to stake your life on it. It is not reliable enough to gamble with your eternal soul. How you feel can never be a trustworthy enough basis for assurance of salvation. Our feelings can be reliable in a lot of scenarios. It can save us from a lot of, of hazardous moments, of dangers. Those voices can be helpful, but when it comes to assurance of your eternal salvation, 
Those voices and your feelings is just fallible guesswork. It's bathed in uncertainty. And it just can't give you enough peace to get you to the level of assurance the Bible's calling you to. It can't do it. What you need is something outside of you. You've got to get out of your own head and you need to start listening to an external word, a voice from another world, something that's objective. Not just your subjective guesswork. Something objective that can tell you with authority that you are for sure saved. And that's only found in the Word of God. That's the external Word. We have in God's Word all His precious gospel promises, Christian. Just look at what He says to you in Romans 8. What we've been covering these last 10, 11 weeks. He says, everything works together for your good if you love me and if you've been claimed by me to belong to me. He says, you have been foreknown. You are predestined. You're being conformed to the image of my son. You've been called. You've been justified. You've been glorified. I've given you my son. If... If God is for us, who can be against us? There's no good thing I would withhold from you. I've left no good unpromised, and my son has left no good unpurchased for you. Purchased and promised, all from God, declared in His Word. Who can condemn you? Nobody. No charge against you can stick. Nothing can separate you from my love. You are safe and sound with me. Just look at that. This is just in a few verses. The Bible's a big book. <laughs> there are a lot of pages. There are a lot of promises in those pages. Glorious, amazing promises to give you some solid ground. Our firm foundation on which... To stand, you have this objective word coming to you. God has also given us, and this is key, God has also given us the sacraments as signs and seals of His promises. That's part of why the baptism and Lord's Supper exist they are signs of what He promises and they are guarantees, seals that His promise is sure. The only question you need to ask is this. Is God telling the truth? Is this word true? Is it reliable? The question is not, oh, is my faith sincere enough? Get out of your head. Look outside yourself. Look at Christ. Look at God's external word that He declares to you in the Bible and shows to you on the table. And ask yourself, do I trust Him? Is not, am I sincere? Is God sincere? If he is, trust him. Trust him. Return over and over again to this external objective word 
both in the Bible and in the sacraments, remembering your baptism and coming month after month to the Lord's table, come to these promises, these objective external words over and over again and begin to reassure yourself with God's infallible promises. Stake your life on His Word. Stake your life on His character. That's where, it, that's where you have to be. That's where faith can find something solid to hold on to. Second basis of assurance, an observable walk. An observable walk. Scripture gives us a standard of observable tests of assurance. We can take these standards, these tests, and examine ourselves in light of them and reach some firm conclusions. I mentioned 1 John 5.13 earlier. These things I've written so that you can know you have eternal life. 1 John was written in order to give us multiple tests of assurance. Let me just give you two. There, the letter's full of these. Let me just give you two. 1 John 2, 3 and 6. 3 to 6. By this we know that we have come to know Christ. By this we know that we have come to know Christ if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, this is 1 John 2, 4, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But, verse 5, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How do you know? There's an observable walk that you can test. Second example, 1 John 3.10. One simple verse. By this it is evident, it's obvious, who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Christian, there is an observable walk of holiness, obedience, godliness, righteousness to the word and commandment of Christ that all true Christians ought to have. This walk is the natural fruit of being born again. This walk is the evidence that you have been truly converted from a life of sin and that you really are His faithful disciple and not just a religious hypocrite. The Bible doesn't just proclaim God's promises. It also lays out in great detail the kind of life you must live 
if you're going to be pleasing to God. If you have no interest in living that life, then you have no evidence that you're saved. And no business thinking that you are assured of heaven. Just praying a prayer one time is meaningless. Just believing in God, just believing Jesus really did exist and He died on a cross and yeah, He probably came out of the tomb and yeah, He might be coming back one day, but ho-hum, yeah, it's probably true. Who cares? Oh, I'll go to church. But day to day, I have nothing to do with Jesus and as far as I can tell, He has nothing to do with me. That doesn't amount to anything. Are you walking this morning on the narrow way? What path are you on? Is there an observable walk? This is why Paul and Peter said in the verses I read earlier from 1 Corinthians and 2 Peter, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians and 2 Peter, this is why they said, examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. To see if you've truly repented of your life of sin. If you really are walking in His commandments. This is why they say to make your calling and your election sure. Romans 8 says, if you've been foreknown and predestined, you've been foreknown and predestined to be conformed to Christ. Well, if you're not being conformed to Christ, if you don't look anything like Him and do not care to, you may not be foreknown. You may not be predestined. Make your calling and election sure, Second Peter says. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Are you a new creature in Christ, or is that just poetry? Do you love God? Do you have any desire for God? Is it your desire to glorify Him and to please Him in an observable and noticeable way? Now, no one in this room, or ever, is even remotely close to perfect. Let's get, let's get that straight. Nobody's even close. And as we said earlier, everyone can expect to struggle. Right? That's why that was point one. Real Christians can struggle. They really can. They really can. And we do. We really do. Struggling and stumbling does not mean that you're not saved. Hear me. Stumbling and struggling and doubting and not having assurance does not mean that you are not saved. Assurance is not automatic and neither is sanctification. Growing in your knowledge and love for Christ, that's not automatic either. We want to have an observable walk, but we know we struggle. We have to work hard at both of these things. We have to work hard at attaining assurance. And one of the ways we do that is we take obedience seriously. This is the test. The test is when you look at your life in the light of God's objective external word, are there any signs of life? When you look at a plant, plants die a lot at our house. 
<laughs> we, have, we, we struggle to keep them alive. Apparently we don't water them. That's a, uh, I hear that's necessary, I, but it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Um, we killed ivy once. How do you kill? We would kill a cactus. But when you look at a plant, how do you know it's not dead? Well, there's some signs of life. Oh, look, it's not brown and crunchy. <laughs> oh, look, it, it actually, oh, there's a bloom. It's a little bigger. I see it's green. It has roots. It's growing. It's alive. Sometimes, if you, look at a, if you look at yourself and you're just brown and crunchy and withering away, there's no signs of life there. But if you look at yourself and you're like, look, I am a wreck. I am a mess. I, I, I don't understand half the Bible. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I struggle and I doubt and I question and I feel like I'm just... I feel like I'm just on a treadmill. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm walking. I'm running. Oh, I'm sweating. I need help. Lord, help me. I'm not getting anywhere. If, if you're one of those who recognizes that you're stumbling and struggling and you know that you're a mess, but you know, I do not like sin. And I know I want to grow and I want to know Him. And it's my desire to please Him. And I, I have weak faith. Lord, help my unbelief. If that's you, there's signs of life. That's evidence of a new creation. And that should be very, very comforting. Are there signs of life? Is there any indication of growth? Any kind of progress? Any hunger at all? Any love for the Lord in your heart? You see yourself trying to walk after Him. Even if you don't know how to do it well, even if you're stumbling and struggling, there are signs of life. Be very encouraged. Be very encouraged. That's evidence. Certified by the infallible standard of God's word that you have passed the test. You are a true believer. You have an observable walk and therefore you have biblical warrant for assurance that you are saved. But it's all based on coming to this word, looking at the promises, and then looking at yourself in light of the standards and making a judgment. Last point. Ultimately, if it were up to us at the end of the day to convince ourselves that God is faithful to convince ourselves, to persuade ourselves that His Word is reliable, that His promises are true, and that we have enough of an observable walk to have assurance. If it were all up to us at the end of the day to make that call, we would never have assurance. <laughs> we would all fall short. We'd all have a reason to keep doubting. None of us could ever attain Assurance, because it would still be based on our fallible judgment. And that's why there has to be this last piece. Our judgment, now listen, our judgment is unavoidable. Okay? You have to be convinced in your mind and in your heart that you're saved. Otherwise, it wouldn't be your assurance of your salvation. You have to come to this conclusion in your own mind, own heart, own conscience, own soul. 
It has to be something you arrive at. You have to be persuaded and convinced. And this means that ultimately assurance is a supernatural gift. It's something you don't just work for. It's something you have to pray for. Where does it come from? It comes from this last point, an internal witness. The internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. Look quickly with me. Romans eight sixteen. Earlier in the chapter, Paul says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit works with the Word of God. The Spirit works with the Word to make that Word effective in your spirit. He doesn't bypass the Word. He goes through the Word and with the Word. As we come to this external Word and we meditate on God's promises, and as we examine ourselves in the light of Scripture and we look for that observable walk, it is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to testify to us through that process, not going around it, through that process that we really do belong to God. It's the Spirit's business to tell us for sure through the Word, through the tests, that we really are saved. The gift of assurance comes as the Spirit bears witness with your spirit and gives you the certainty, gives you the knowledge that you are elect, that you have eternal life, that you are soundly and securely saved. The Word of God and the Spirit of God work together to give you assurance and to give you all those riches that go with it. So Christian, we'll close with this. As you seek to attain that full assurance that Scripture calls you to do, as you seek to attain full assurance of faith and to maintain that assurance in your Christian life, begin meditating on God's promises in the gospel. Begin meditating on God's promises in your baptism and in the Lord's Supper. Those are the objective, external words from God. Examine yourself with these tests of assurance, beginning with 1 John. Just read 1 John this week, five chapters, chapter a day. You'll, you'll, ten minutes, and you'll read a, the chapter will be done. Read 1 John this week and really look for every time he says, this is how you can know, this is how you can know, this is how you can know. Examine yourself with these tests of assurance and start with 1 John. And finally, saturate this whole process in prayer. Bathe your mind and your spirit in prayer. Not apart from the Word, with the Word. That's where you will hear the witness of the Spirit whisper in your heart, your mind, trust me. I've got you. This is how you can be convinced, just like Paul, that nothing in all creation can ever separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for this powerful word you've given us. And oh, I pray that we would be both challenged and encouraged by this word today. I pray that you would help us to understand that assurance is attainable, but to also realize it's not automatic and we have to struggle. I pray you would help anyone here who's weak in their faith, who is in the middle of a struggle, that they not despair, but they come to your promises and they comfort themselves with your sweet Holy Spirit as they turn to you in prayer. Teach us, Lord, how to seek assurance. Teach us that it's attainable. Tell us how to walk. Make your promises effective as we come back to them over and over and help us to believe them. Increase our faith. We believe, Lord, but help our unbelief. And I pray that all of us would reach full assurance of faith and all those glorious riches that assurance brings to our lives as we seek to follow you deeper and deeper. In Jesus' name, amen.